Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. What's up, everybody? How are we doing today? Man, I just thank the Lord we're not dependent on Pastor Joey and Pastor Derek's survival skills during this apocalypse. My goodness. God help us. Well, hey, I'm so glad that you're with us. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Matt. I'm your location pastor here in the Northeast. So glad you chose to join us. And we are on week two of this series called More Life. Now, if you don't know me, uh, not everybody knows every detail of my life, but if you didn't know, I'm from Texas originally. That's where I, I grew up, and I also spent several years in Oklahoma. I'm not from Oklahoma. I'm from Texas. I was a missionary to the hostile lands of Oklahoma, just to be clear. But here's the thing. I grew up in the South, and at, I grew up in church, and you know, one of the things that I became very accustomed to was something called fellowship dinners. Has anybody else ever been to a fellowship dinner? It's always at lunchtime. I don't know why it's called dinner, but this happens in a lot of smaller churches. And what you would do um, is you would go to the fellowship hall, a section of the building dedicated to fellowship. Fellowship is the Christian word for hanging out. And so you had a whole hall dedicated to this act. And at fellowship dinner, what would happen is people from all over the church would bring things. You see, this was not a catered event. This was like a community lunch of sorts. And so everybody regardless of talent, regardless of cleanliness, would bring their home-cooked items to fellowship lunch dinner and set them out before you. And you would see a sea of casseroles. And the thing is, you knew all these people, right? So if you hated it, you couldn't tell them. Like it was just, and if you didn't eat it, you felt bad. So like you would have to eat all these things. And I gotta tell you, growing up and going to fellowship dinners all the time has jaded me towards a lot of foods. I can't have spaghetti. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I've had so much bad spaghetti in my life. I literally watched them make spaghetti. They, they made noodles, they made them dry, and they just dumped the Hunt's can of tomato sauce on top and said, spaghetti! It was awful. So I can't do spaghetti. It kills me. The other thing is, though, is this ruined vegetables, too. I just, I gotta tell I hate vegetables. I already hated them before this, but here's what happened. Um, we were at a fellowship dinner and somebody had made us green beans. And as we ate them, I was like, man, these taste funky. I don't know what's going on here. And so lovingly, like, hey, how'd you make these? And she's like, oh, honey, my secret is bacon fat. She boiled a vegetable in bacon fat. Like there's a piece of bacon coming out of it. It was, the most, so even the vegetables were not healthy. The other thing is I was lied to. I was told my whole life that corn is a vegetable. It took five years into my marriage before I learned that it's a starch, which I didn't know was a food category anyway. So like, I feel like I have been lied to by vegetables that was told they were healthy. They're not healthy. And I have to be prepared the right way. And I got to tell you this baggage, it, it for sure carried into my marriage. I didn't want to eat any vegetables at all. So what my wife did, she had to train me secretly how to eat vegetables. What she would do is she would take asparagus or Brussels sprouts and she would wrap them in bacon. 
a lot of bacon, right? And so and I'd eat it, like, this is great, very bacony. And what so she would do, she started slowly weaning the bacon, like just, oh, we just didn't have as much bacon this time. I don't I'm sorry. And slowly but surely got me to the point of just vegetable. And now I eat asparagus now, I can eat Brussels sprouts now. I'm a healthy man. <laughs> My goodness, but I was marked by that horrible experience and it affected how I view veggies. Well, on a different note, what we watched last week and what we discussed was how the Holy Spirit actually marks us and marks his church to bring glory to Jesus. And the result of that marking was the filling of the Holy Spirit, which then led to revival. And so my message today, we're calling the church that's marked, the church that's marked. And the reason that we're doing this is because we want to see what are the marks of a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, that's been touched by God, that he is doing his work in. Because guys, that's the church that we want to be. We want to be a church that reflects Jesus and has evidence of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to look through and find out what those marks are. For context, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. And what's happening right now is the 120, they have just been filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter then has now started preaching. And he preaches this fiery message that results in 3,000 people giving their lives to Christ. And this is the marking point in history where the church is established. It really begins. What we need to understand too is that this is a multicultural group and they're coming together by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the message of Christ Jesus and by what God is doing through them. And they are establishing the church. And so they have no prior experience saying, this is what church should like, look like, aside from their experience and perhaps the temples and whatnot. So this is the beginning beginning of the church, and they're kind of building the plane as they fly it. And that's where we pick up in verse 41. Verse 41 says, and this is what's happening in the church. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000, that's incredible. So the first mark of the true church of Jesus is that it is marked by evangelism and salvation. Evangelism and salvation. So we have to ask ourselves as individuals, have we evangelized? Do we evangelize? Is evangelism a part of who we are and how we live? Evangelism is described as this, the spreading of the Christian gospel by publicly preaching or personal witness. Now, what I would argue is that that personal witness is the most practical one that most of us can carry in all of our circles of influence, our personal witness to others. That's sharing the love of Jesus with those around us. That's living in an example of what the very message we preach is, letting that be our lifestyle as well. And because here's the thing, every single one of us has a circle of influence. Every one of us knows people that I will never meet. There are people in your life, in your workplace, in your circle, in your friend circles, in your past. All of us have a network of people that we have influence on. Imagine if every one of us championed this idea of, I need to share the gospel with those around me. And let me be clear, when I say share the gospel, I don't mean taking the Bible and beating people over the head with it. 
That's not what I mean. What I mean is sharing what God has done in you, living the very gospel that we're saying, like Christ has changed me. I'm more generous, I'm more loving, I'm more compassionate now. And sharing that same hope with those around you, sharing the love of Jesus, telling them scripture, letting them know, and then watching how God uses that moment to change their life. Often when my wife and I are out to eat, we have invite cards on us. And it's amazing how when we just take that step of saying, hey, did you go to church anywhere? No, why? Well, here's an invite. Come check mine out. How that opens up the door to share our faith with somebody. They're like, what? Why? Why do you want me to? Well, I'm a, well you know, I, I believe this. It's cool. Come through. We would love for you to be there. It's amazing how that simple act of obedience can result in life change. One example I can think of specifically is there's a young man that uh, works at a store that my wife and I go to pretty often, uh, and he's recently transitioned to become a woman. And here's the thing. We've built such a relationship with this young man that we've had ongoing dialogue with him that we've been able to pray for him. We've been able to invite him to church, share the love of Jesus, and we've been able to build relationship with him, even though he's currently looking for his identity and the things of this world and, and he's broken and hurt. We've been able to create relationship and show him love because we love Jesus. If God can save me, he can save everybody. And we're showing that same love to every person around us. You see, the way we evangelize and show love is not by bashing people over the head. It's by showing them that Jesus is the redeemer. And when we surrender our life to him, that's what drives us to want to live in the manner that he's called and designed us to be. But it starts with love. It starts with relationship. And it starts with having the identity of going, hey, I want to take a step of obedience. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to invite somebody to church. I'm going to just offer to pray for them, ask them if there's anything going on in their life. When this happens, life change happens. Here's an example. Here in the Northeast, Latifa, our hospitality coordinator, she has a friend that she had been inviting. Her name's Suma. Suma was a practicing Hindu at the time. And eventually she decided, all right, I'll try this church out. And I remember after she visited the first week, I called her because I call every guest and asked, you know, how was your time? And she was like, let me be clear. I'm not interested in your religion. I was like, you know what? Cool. How you feeling? You all right? Like, like, you know, I was like, can I pray for you? You know? And so, but she couldn't deny the love she felt when she was here. So she kept coming back. She kept coming back. And because of that simple step of, of Latifa loving her, inviting her, being the gospel that she was sharing with her, one Sunday, Suma raised her hand, gave her life to Christ. She's been baptized. She's serving now. She's now a blog group leader. Her life is radically, radically different because of a simple act of obedience. Latifa wouldn't claim to be this crazy biblical scholar. What she is is a Christ follower who took a step of obedience that God used and it impacted somebody else's life for eternity. Imagine if every single one of us carried this, carried this urgency of sharing our faith with those around you. You don't have to be a biblical scholar, though we should all be striving to understand the Bible more. We should all be striving in our biblical understanding, but you don't have to wait until you've achieved some sort of credential to be obedient to the influence that God has put you in right now. When you steward what God has given you right now, opportunity opens up beyond that. A lot of times we're like, God, give me a platform. Give me the opportunity to do this and that. If we haven't stewarded the very circle he's given us now, why would he give us more? Every one of us have people in our lives we could be inviting to church. Every one of us have people in our lives we could show in the love of Jesus too because our city is broken and hurting. So we have to have the eyes and the awareness to go, man, this person that bothers me, 
They need Jesus, actually. They're broken and hurting. Hey, my friend that we hang out every single week, I don't know if they know the Lord or not. I should ask. Let me pray. Let me see what God will do in the middle of that. Because the church that loves Jesus is marked by evangelism and salvation. And Northeast, I just want to celebrate with you that since March, we've seen over 50 people give their lives to Christ in this building. Come on, somebody. That's amazing. 50 people who were far from God and dead to their sin now have an eternity with their Savior. And imagine if every one of us carried this, if every one of us had that same attitude that Latifah did, imagine if every one of us did, how much impact our city would have. Because the solution to the problems in our city are not through politics, are not through social reform and all the things. While those things are important and we should steward them, at the root of all things, it starts with Jesus. When we have been radically changed by Jesus, it changes how we vote, it changes how we act, it changes how we spend our money, it changes how we spend our time. So the key thing thing that we have to do is get the love of Jesus into our circles of influence. The true church of Jesus is marked by evangelism and salvation. It's on all of us. Let's move on. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the second mark is this. The true church of Jesus is marked by continued discipleship continued discipleship. What this means is we don't just accept that, hey, I got my free ticket to heaven. I'm good now. I'm going to go back and do everything I always did. That's not what this is at all. Discipleship is going, I've surrendered my life to Jesus. So now I begin the journey of aligning my life with his. I begin the journey of shedding my past and becoming the creature that God has called me to be. So that involves learning the nature of God. That means we have to be in our Bibles. That means making understanding scripture a priority. If you don't understand scripture, you're like, I don't even know where to start. Join new to the church. I'd love to help you get started. Great free resource immediately available for you. But we got to be in scripture. We got to start understanding his word, understand his nature and his character. But it doesn't stop with just head knowledge. You can know everything about the Bible and be a bad disciple. It's a matter of becoming who it is God's called you to be and finding your place in the kingdom of God. Because if you're here today, God has designed you, he has created you for a purpose. And when we surrender our life to Jesus, we then say, okay, it's not my priorities anymore. It's his priorities. So God, what do you want me to do? How can I be a part of what your kingdom has happening? How can I align my priorities with yours? Here are two examples that happen in scripture. Well, even before I say that, like for me, my role as pastor, right? My job is to lead and shepherd this location. If it was entirely up to me to do everything that this church involved, our church would be about the size of this front row right here. I think, I think that's my capacity. I think I could get us that far. Because the thing is, like, I know what my strengths are, and I also know what my weaknesses are. My job is to empower, to inspire, and to lead us in a direction. As is Pastor Joey's, as is all of our location pastors, our job is to lead us, right? And here's what Scripture tells us in Ephesians. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Our job is to build you up to do the work of Christ here on earth. 
Now, this, there's another example of this in the book of Acts in chapter six. What happens is as the church is growing, as more and more disciples are, 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 are being created, I guess you would say, they start running into logistical issues. One group uh, in the church, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews have a bit of a conflict because one group feels that their widows are being left out when it comes to the daily distribution of food in their food program. And so what do they do? They come to the, they come to the apostles, they come to Peter and they're like, hey, there's a problem here. Can you fix it, please? You know what Peter's response is? We can't be the ones to fix it. We have a lot of things we're already doing. And so what do they do? They empower specific people in the church to champion this problem, come up with a solution. They release the responsibility. And then those people then effectively handle what's going on. Make sure the food is distributed properly. Again, like I said earlier, if it's just on me to do the work of the church, then I am the lid. My job is to equip and empower all of us because all of us have been created by God for a purpose. Every person in this place has a responsibility. You're not meant to be a piece of wallpaper. You're meant to be an active part of the body of Christ. And when we do this together, the impact is, in, is incredible. Every single person has a part to play. One of the things that I, I am great at is I can cast vision, I can inspire, I can mobilize. I'm very relational as a leader. One thing that is not my forte are lists and things that make lists and ways that you sort lists. And here's the thing, there's a lot of people in the Northeast. There's around 450 to 500 of you that attend on a Sunday, and many of you attend once a month. So multiply that by four. That's a lot of people that I'm chasing down, that I'm caring for. This is why I'm so thankful for people like Mary. Mary is passionate about phone calls. She helps me by reaching out to people. I pull up lists, like we come up with people, like who's visited, who's come here that we don't have a relationship with, who's walked through our doors, because I know that every person that walks through our doors was hand-created by God, created for a purpose, and we want to steward that to the best of our ability. And so Mary helps me reach out to these people, makes all these phone calls to let people know, hey, you're missed, you're loved, we want you here. We want you to be a part of what's happening here. I'm thankful for people like Catherine. We have what we call Surf Saturday, and this is our monthly outreach in the community. Catherine has helped build the backbone of logistics behind this outreach. She helps create and organize the lists. She has the texts that go out to all the volunteers. She keeps a relationship with our different partners and our different companies that we work with to do these different outreaches. And she's created a whole backbone infrastructure so that we can do Serve Saturday that much better. And what's beautiful is as God has called her to take on a new role in the church, she built it so well that she's able to hand it off to who's, uh, who's replacing her with ease and with excellence. That is a kingdom-minded person meeting a need, using their gifts to see God's work done. The truth is every one of us has something to give. Every one of us has a part to play. A part of discipleship is going, what is that? What are the giftings God's put in me? And some season, it's a matter of just stepping up and meeting a need, thinking beyond just ourselves, but going, hey, what's the need? How can I help? And then the other part of it is discovering what are the passions that God has put in me? What are the unique giftings he's put in me? And how can I use them not to edify myself, but to see others come to know Jesus, to build the kingdom of God? The church is marked by continued discipleship. This is an ongoing process. We have to ask ourselves, is that something that's a part of our lives? Am I seeking being all it is that God has created me to be? Verse 43, it says this. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So the next mark is this. It is marked by miracles and wonder. We're believing for this to take place. We're believing for continued miracles to happen in the church because one of the things that I've found about miracles is a lot of times it takes faith that God can use us. I've had many a moment in my life where I say, God, I believe you can do anything through everybody else. You can do a miracle through them. (laughs) But when it comes to God, do I believe you can do something through me? That's where my faith tends to hit a wall. And the truth is, if we want to see miracles, it's trusting that God can use every one of us to be a part of a miracle story. God can use every one of us to be a part of miracles that need to happen in our community and beyond. I think of somebody specifically. Many of you have heard about Hector. Hector serves faithfully in the Northeast, but he has terminal cancer. Well, we're believing for God to do a miracle in him, but the truth is he's already a miracle. Already doctors can't believe he's doing it as well as he's doing. They can't believe he's still functioning in the way he is because God's doing a great work in him. But what I love about his miracle story is it's not even just about Hector. We were at a serve Saturday and he and I were talking about, he's like, I can't believe what God is doing in me. And he often was questioning whether God could use him beyond that. Well, the next car that pulls up was somebody who just had major surgery because of terminal cancer. And Hector got to stump in, intercede, encourage, and pray for him and pray that God would do a miracle in him. Isn't it amazing that when God does the miraculous in us, it's not even just about us, but the impact that it makes on those around us. We're believing for God to bring healing and not just physical, but even in marriages. I can't tell you how many marriages I've seen that have been at the line, have been the absolute brink of divorce and by the world standards should be divorced. There was infidelity, there was abuse, there was all sorts of issues that were deep, deep rooted but I've seen how the Holy Spirit can come in and bring conviction, can bring light where there's been darkness, can bring healing where there's been damage. And I've seen marriages healed. I've seen people restored. And what's beautiful is that it doesn't just impact the couple whose marriage has been restored, but it shows their kids, this is what a godly marriage needs to look like. And then it shows other people that are struggling in their marriages, hey, if God can heal them, he can heal you too. When we are believing for miracles to happen in our lives. It's not even just about us, but about the impact and the hope that it gives others because God is the author. He is the miracle bringer. Scripture tells us that he, God is Jehovah Rapha. He's the God who heals. And so if we are a church marked by the Holy Spirit, we want to see healing happening in every capacity. But a lot of times for each of us, it trusts God. I trust that you can bring healing in my life. God, I trust that I can be a part of somebody else's miracle story. We believe that healing can happen in this place. Verse 44 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. They sold property and possessions. Why? For accolades? No, to give to anyone who had need. The true church of Jesus is marked by radical generosity. Radical generosity. If you were at team conference, you got to see that as a church, we were able to collectively give $20,000 to another church here in Philadelphia that's planting in Kensington. Come on, somebody. I don't know about you, 
but I don't got $20,000 to give to somebody. I wish I did. That'd be really cool, but I don't have $20,000 to give to somebody. How cool is it that when we give collectively, when we all invest in the kingdom of God, we're able to achieve infinitely more than we ever could as individuals. And how cool is it that a church that also needs money, we're in a building campaign, that we're also leading the way with irrational generosity by sowing money into other ministries. Why? Because we wanna see the kingdom of God come. This is not about patting ourselves on the back about how great we are. We wanna see God bring revival to our city. We wanna see hope given to the hopeless. We want to see the lost come to know Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is financially. It costs money to do these things. I've been able to witness firsthand our church, give people cars, meet needs. Again, I go, I can't do that on my own, but by giving consistently, by sowing faithfully, I am a part of every one of those stories. Every one of us has to lead the way with irrational generosity. Because here's the other thing I've also witnessed firsthand. Generosity has always been modeled best through the local church. I can't tell you how many times in my life where my wife and I were doing all the math, we're stewarding our budget to the best of our ability, things are happening, bills are hitting us, and we're going, I don't know how to make this happen. And where somebody randomly comes up and says, hey, felt like God told me to give you this check. It blows my mind how many times that this has happened over the course of my life. And it was always from community through the local church. People trusting God, holding their resource with an open hand saying, God, this is not mine, this is yours. How would you have me use it for your purposes? And what's amazing about it is that it inspires and changed me. Because now I can think of times too, where we had a loved one, someone who was a part of our church community that hit a very unexpected financial need. And my wife and I were able to write a large check to meet that exact need in that moment. It took planning. It took being prepared. It took being generous minded prior to the moment because generosity was a part of our life. And part of what made it easy is I got to witness firsthand other people modeling that very thing. Imagine if us as a whole church had generosity in mind, had kingdom in mind in all of our resource. Imagine the needs that we could meet. Imagine the buildings that could be bought, not just here in Philadelphia, but in Turkey and all over the world. Think of what God can do when we hold our resource because everything we have is already his everything we have he gave us why would we not prioritize giving it whenever there's a need why would we not prioritize the kingdom of god as the primary thing our finances revolve around the true church of jesus is marked by radical generosity they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need that's radical and that's evidence of the holy spirit in people's lives. Verse 46 says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They continued to meet together in the temple courts, broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know how many awkward dinners I've had? It's not pleasant. It takes relationship to get to this. It's important that we're gathering together faithfully. It's funny how whenever I go to like a new store, like I go to the new Rite Aid, you know, it's not the same one I've always gone to. It's a little different. I don't know the workers, you know, like, like all the foods I get are in different sections, right? Because I'm not there very often. It's a new space. Some of us come to church in that way. We come to church once every six months. 
and we're surprised we don't know anybody. Sometimes we come once every, you know, we come once a month even, right? And we're like, oh, wow, your kid is older. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when we are not consistently a part of being in community. It's amazing what we lack when we're not a part of consistent community. You know what? Since we're as a culture, as an American culture, we're pretty individually centered, right? We're, we're very much individual consumers. So let me tell you all the individual benefits to being in church regularly. First of all, it makes parenting easier. As a parent, you know how much pressure I feel to be like, I gotta raise these kids to love Jesus, to know the Bible, to know all these things, to walk with integrity. I also have to get all my work done. I also have to be a good husband and all this. It's a lot of pressure to raise my kids to be all it is God's called them to be, right? Well, thank God I have the block kids who are regularly investing in my kids, teaching them to memorize scripture, pointing them towards the Lord, calling out their gifts and things inside their lives, pointing them right towards Jesus, surrounding them with other adults that love Jesus, modeling what it looks like. My kids are coming to me telling me Bible verses and I'm going, wow, I wish I was the one that taught you that. But I'm not, it makes parenting easier. Plus every Sunday I got an hour or two away from them for free. That's amazing. That's incredible. But especially in a time where so many things are competing for your kids' attention. So many things are trying to influence and tell your kids who they should be and what they should be. I have to, I have to censor commercials now. I have to censor, com there was a time where all the commercials were about diabetes medication. Now it's about everything. And now these agendas being, I had to like mute it. That's so stressful. So I'm so thankful to have a church community of other people pointing my kids to be all it is that God has called them to be. It makes parenting easier. Here's the other thing. It'll make you healthier physically. It'll make you physically healthier. Vanderbilt University says, further engaging in meaningful relationship can re reduce both stress and the risk of mortality by 55% amongst middle-aged adults. Risk of mortality by 55%. That's crazy. Just being in church can literally increase your lifespan. That's amazing. That's science too. To everybody who's like, it's science or the church. This is science, statistics. Harvard University says this. Harvard researchers concluded weekly church attendance effectively improved the physical and mental health of millions of Americans and reduced mortality by 20 to 30% over a 15 year period. Come on, somebody. Being here makes you live longer. It makes you healthier. It puts you around people that are pointing you towards the Lord. Secular scientific journals are telling you, hey, if you go to church more often, you will live longer. You'll have a better quality of life. Isn't it amazing how science backs up the word of God? Because God created science. Listen, what? This is the thing that blows my mind. So if this is what's gonna make me healthier and less likely to be depressed, why would it be so low on the priority list of things I do in a week? Why would I allow the kids games? Why would I allow these different other activities? Why would I allow tiredness or whatever prevent me from doing the thing that's gonna increase my health by 30 to 55%? This is the best free resource you have and it's available every single week. But that's just the individual benefits. Because here's the thing, we're not meant to be here just for our own benefit. 
part of the reason we need to be in regular fellowship is so we can be there for each other. You can't be there to encourage somebody if you're not here physically. You can't be encouraged by somebody else's testimony if you're not here physically. You can't be alongside somebody in their life, in their grief, in their whatever, if you're not here physically. You can't know what to pray for in somebody's life if you're not around them enough to know what's happening in their life. You can't have godly friendships around you if you're never in regular proximity around godly people. You're never gonna find a godly spouse if the only place you're at regularly socially is at a bar. If we're not regularly prioritizing being here, we are not, we are missing out on seeing life change happen in other people's lives. And again, it's amazing how our faith grows when we let God use us in our brokenness to be an encouragement to somebody else. Because it reminds you that you're not the healer, he's the healer. And he has chosen us to be an influence in those around us. We have to make prioritizing being together a key function of our life. And this is a mark of the Holy Spirit in our church. Verse 47 says this, they're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those that were being saved. Daily, not even weekly or Sundayly. Daily, he was adding to the number those that were being saved. Why? Because the true church of Jesus is marked by growth. It's marked by growth. There's a reason that you hear us tell you all the time, invite your friends, invite your family. There's a reason why because there are so many people in our city that are far from God, that are hurting, that believe the lies of this world, that are in cycles of sin, that are in cycles of pain, and they don't know that there is a free way out. I was doing a run this week, and as I was running down my block, I just started doing the mental math of how many people actually lived on my block. Because obviously, you know, I know the neighbors that I know, right? But when I started doing the math of how many people were in the households, it started adding up really quickly. So I went to Google and I was like, all right, how many people live in my neighborhood? I live in Holmesburg. So I was like, all right, in the city of neighborhoods, how many live in my neighborhood? There's over 37,000 people in Holmesburg alone. 37,000 people. That's not Mayfair, that's not Taconi, that's not Parkwood, that's not Bucks County, that's not Fairless Hills, that's not any of these other, just Holmesburg, there's 37,000 people. When I think about how many people attend the Northeast, I hike four to five, four, 450 to 500, that's great. No, it's not. Compared to the need in my neighborhood alone, there are so many people in our community that need Jesus. I want to celebrate who's here, but I can't help but grieve the empty chair. I can't help but grieve this whole empty section over here. I can't help but grieve every open seat. Why? Because it represents somebody that needs to know Jesus. It represents somebody who's dead to their sin that doesn't know there's a Savior that loves them. For every one of us, we should be going, oh my God gosh, I have to invite my neighbor to church. I have to invite my kid's friend's parents to church. I have to invite my coworker to church. I have to share the gospel with those around me. I have to invite like crazy. Why? Because there's so many people that need Jesus. And a mark of a church that's marked by the Holy Spirit is that there is growth. Why? Because we're not focused on just ourselves. We're focused on the mission that God has called us to do. And the mission is to go and make disciples 
peoples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That is Jesus's promise to us. We don't have to do this on our own. The Holy Spirit gives us power. But if we're gonna trust the Holy Spirit, we have to be surrendered to him because it's by his power that we are made new. It's by his power Philadelphia is revived. It's by his power the Northeast is revived. So we have to be surrendered to him. And with all these things, all these marks, I want all of us to ask ourselves, do I exemplify all of these things? Because you are a part of the church. It takes all of us doing all of these things. Because what drew people to the church in Acts was how different they were from the community around them. It wasn't just the words that they said, but the fruit of the lives in which they lived. People saw the church and it was so countercultural how much happier they were, how much more charitable they were, how much more loving they were. Do we look like the world or do we look different? Are we just as cynical, angry, and bitter as the rest of the world? Or are we showing the very love of Jesus in all that we do? Is his kingdom the priority in our lives? Will you stand all over this room? Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.